Hello and welcome to Outspoken, your dose of the hottest influencer and pop culture news twice a week. I'm Sophie Torber and I'm joined by my sisters and journalists Kate and Amy. On today's show, Stax rolls out the red carpet as the influencer world comes together for its new collection launch. Brooke Hogan opens up about wedding SponCon and calls for calm after Love Island's Tash is met with a barrage of ableist abuse on social media. But first, dinner parties are back in vogue, thanks to the rise of so-called dinner party influencers on TikTok. I am all about this trend because I love dinner parties. I'm often known as the host in our friendship group, and I really want to get around this trend. Amy, you brought it to my attention because there are literally 693 million videos currently showing up with this hashtag, and I want to become one of these influencers. How do I go about doing it? Kate, you're going to have to up your game because these dinner parties on TikTok are next level. Some of these dinner party influencers, they have handwritten menus, they have five course meals, and you also have to have a very nice table scattering. So So very aesthetic is what we're looking for. What's a table scattering? Do you mean like fresh flowers? Because I saw a lot of these videos, the first step is actually going to the market and buying like a bunch of fresh flowers just for the table, which I've never done before. Or some people do eucalyptus leaves scattered all over the table, but there's actually businesses that you can hire in. So if you're not very good at, you know, doing your tablescape, as they call it, you can hire in a company to do it all for you. Some of these influencers are even providing Spotify music lists so you can have the perfect collection of music on hand. Do you reckon that this is just trending in our age demographic? Because I feel like once you enter your 30s, Having a dinner party on the weekend is sort of a sign that you're sophisticated and grown up and you've got your life together. It just made me think about Bridget Jones's dinner party where she was trying so hard and served the blue soup. (laughs) See, I'm not a very good dinner party host. I think I would flop in this category. Well, the reason I feel like this trend is going off now is because we've all been in lockdown. We've all been organizing our pantries. We've been redesigning our homes. So it seems like everyone just wants to have people over to show off. And I feel like this is kind of a status thing as well. Like it used to be the Mm. cupboard in lockdown, but now it's look how organized and I am. Look what a great cook I am. Well, look what a good host I yeah. am. It's funny because usually you'd only be showing off to the handful of people that you had over, but yeah. now you've got even more incentive because you're showing off to all your followers on social media. Is it bad that it made me want to have a really pretentious dinner party? I want to have a dinner party where each couple brings a course. So we should organize one this weekend. I want to have a dinner party competition based off Oh, this. we've done Who that before. Have... That didn't end no, up well. But like, <laughs> yeah, in... Let's do one with a reel. I'm, I'm definitely up for the challenge. Once I mentioned to Brandon that it's a competition, he'll be down for it as well. Is there a prize? Oh, we've got to do some sort of prize. I think the voting should be based on the guests that are actually there. So they need to vote on the food and the actual no, vibe no, no. and hosting of the event. No, and then I think the and listeners. then outspoken listeners can vote on the real. No, which it one makes looks it, the best. it makes it difficult for friends. I think this is purely an aesthetic thing. We're going to judge on how it looks on TikTok and Instagram. Well, that's what it's all about. I mean, these dinner party influencers, their food might taste like shit but it just looks good online and also it's like how pretentious you make the real like down at the central market picking out your flowers and whatnot (laughs) 
The who's who of the influencer world converged on Sydney to attend activewear brand Stax's annual collection launch. No expense was spared with Stax footing the bill for influencers' flights, accommodation and gifts. With Australia's biggest influencers in town, tongues were wagging with new couple sightings and potential run-ins. Now, so before we get into the drama, how has Stax evolved into one of Australia's biggest activewear brands? Well, the brand was actually launched in Perth in 2015 by Matilda Murray and Don Robertson. And at the time, the couple couldn't afford to hire professional models. So they instead gifted the clothes to local influencers to share photos on social media. And at the time, in 2015, this was somewhat revolutionary. So the label experienced such rapid expansion that they moved to Sydney to better position themselves in the global market. And in the past two years, Stax's popularity has absolutely exploded after it was spotted on the likes of Hayley Bieber, Ashley Graham and Jennifer Lopez. So a really clever marketing move by Stax is that they only release limited edition collections, which of course creates hype and urgency to buy. And they seem to have a winning formula with their collections because they are known to sell out in under 60 seconds flat. And their seamless leggings are so popular that pre-orders are being accepted eight weeks in advance, while sales for their black tights hit 15,000 per month. And they raked in almost $800,000 within two days when they dropped a VIP sale. So in 2021, they turned over a whopping $30 million. And it is safe to say they have really made a name for themselves as the activewear choice of influencers. So it's no surprise when they hold these sorts of events that every influencer and their dog is invited. Now, no expense seemed to be spared with Sofa Dofa revealing flights and accommodation were all paid for. In her recent vlog, Sofa Dofa revealed how she was shocked when she landed at the airport and received a text saying a limo was out the front to take her to her hotel. She also revealed that all influencer guests were staying at luxury hotel Little National in Sydney's CBD. It was quite cute because Sophia said that when she was checking into the hotel, she met Michael Finch, Lily Brown and Sky Wheatley and had a little bit of a fangirl moment because she loves all of them. It's safe to say she obviously grew up watching them on YouTube. And I did find it quite refreshing because Sophia brought her mum along to the event and they admitted that they were both feeling quite stressed and nervous to attend. She said she was getting scared to go to events because she's quite introverted, which I think seems to be quite common for influencers. Now, Stax did the obligatory brand trip move of leaving a collection of presents for the influencers on their hotel bed, which included items from the new collection, a black rose and a 2000s digital oh camera, which had stacks written on it. And that just made me feel old. The fact that they're like, yeah, this retro. retro digital camera. Now, the dress code for the event was all black. And to show off the all black outfits, there was this spinning podium that influencers could take photos on. And it reminded me of that really gross waggo wheel. I don't know if you guys remember it, but yeah. it, they had it at the Brownlow about 10 years ago. I think they came up with it a year after Beck Judd made a Flash with her red dress and this podium at stacks there was this camera tracking so it tracked in a circular motion and basically the influencers would be dancing mm. and then it was pretty cool because it made all of the influencers actually want to upload content yeah. there. it was a great idea i saw sky wheatley shared vision of her and talia skeins on this sort of wheel and sky was really embarrassed because she was dancing and you could see her white undies hanging out from the back <laughs> 
Well, in the past, Stacks owner Matilda Murray has given some insight into how she gets inspo for her fashion shows. And this year, it seemed very much to have a Kanye-esque vibe. So it was held at Luna Park and the show was described as being very over the top. So there were singers, group dancing, and there were also some familiar faces modeling in the show, including Lily Brown's mum, Nat, and influencer M Davies. Now, we all know that the influencer world can be quite incestual. So, of course, with hordes of influencers converging on the event and also staying at the same hotel, people were expecting things to get a little bit awkward. So, Sofa Dofa unknowingly exposed Jonathan Sauer sitting with his new girlfriend, Sky Moody. And it's quite funny because Sophia was zooming in on Michael Finch and Lily Brown, who were sitting in the front row. And Lily was cheering and getting amongst it because one of the male dancers took his shirt off. And in the background, sitting in the second row, we clearly see Jonathan and Sky laughing along. And it was quite odd to see Jonathan hanging out with his old crew because he did spend a lot of time with Michael Finch and Lily when he was dating ex-Shani Grimmon. And it's interesting to note that Shani did not attend the event and neither did Madison Woolley. And that is despite the fact that Madison attended last year's event. She's also had Matilda Murray on her podcast. She is a big supporter of Stack. So it was odd that she wasn't actually there. It was quite clear Madison did not attend because she knew Jonathan was going to be there. I mean, who would want to go if your ex-boyfriend's there with his new partner? On a side note, I did notice that Madison Woolley actually verified that her parents did not send her that bunch of flowers that we spoke about last week. Now, I'm assuming she might have heard the podcast. She said that Mr. Bottles gave her those. So, Amy, I just wanted to clear that up for you. Now, despite the fact that Jonathan and Sky were seated next to each other, they both didn't appear on one another's Instagram pages. So there was no Insta stories together or photos. I also did wonder whether Mitch Third would be making a trip back from overseas to attend this event because he has been quite supportive of Stacks in the past too. And I thought maybe there might be an awkward reunion with ex-Talia Skeins. Thankfully for Talia, that did not happen. And she spent most of the night with friend Steph Packer. Yeah, because Mitch is overseas at the moment. So I suppose it was good timing. It would have been interesting to see what happened because as we spoke about on Friday, there seems to be no love lost there between those Mm. two. My favorite, Anna Paul, was treated like the influencer royalty she is. On the night, she was seated in front row next to her brother Attis and her partner Glenn alongside the owner, Matilda. So these were the prime seats. Now, even the other influencers seem to be a bit starstruck in her presence, with many including her on their Instagram stories and also talking about how they were excited to meet her. And I do think it's quite rare to see Anna at these influencer events. And that's probably because she's always traveling overseas, but also because she recently admitted on her Instagram account that she has turned down every single promotion that she's been offered, except for her partnership with Stax. It was rather funny timing because Anna officially revealed that she is starting her own line with Stax, which is a massive win for the activewear brand considering her pull on the Gen Z market. It was quite juicy because before the Stacks event, Anna revealed that she had been offered $150,000 upfront for a sponsored deal. She didn't say which brand that was from. And she said she turned it down because her followers' trust is worth more to her. She said, I would never promote something that I don't actually recommend. No amount of money is worth lying to you. 
ever, 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 ever. I would rather quit social media. Now, many people were questioning whether she is setting a new standard for influencers. However, I do think we have to remember that she is making a substantial income off OnlyFans. So it's not quite the same to say, oh, all these influencers shouldn't be working with brands. That's their core income. Yeah, but it also bumps up your value if you're only willing to do brand deals with certain brands. Well, I do wonder if that's why she is so popular because her content isn't littered with inane ads all the time. On the topic of money, as for the event itself, a lot of people in our Facebook group were discussing how much it would have cost to actually put something on like this because it was very impressive. And I do think Stax would have paid big time influencers like Anna Paul to attend the event. However, in the case of the smaller influencers, I actually just think they would have received a free lot of activewear. I think it would have been a contra deal. What do you think, Soph? Yeah, I definitely think the smaller influencers would have been quite flattered to be offered free accommodation and flights and obviously the free activewear gear that comes with it in exchange for attending the event and posting. I also think that Stax works with so many influencers that it was also most likely to have been written into their contract that they also attend events and post about it. I also think it's a place to be seen. There's a lot of status that comes with going to the Stax event because only the biggest influencers in Australia are invited. So there's probably some that just literally went because they wanted to be seen there. Well, I was actually surprised that this event was open to the general public. So on the day of the event, Matilda was promoting that she had tickets still available and she showed that general admission tickets were $50, whereas a more VIP experience was $200 to $300. See, I would have thought this would be a great promotion to actually give those away to followers of Stacks and get fans involved rather than making a profit off it. But maybe it shows, well, they needed to recoup some of the money spent on the event through tickets. Even though the event was open to the general public, do you think these sorts of displays of wealth and money and status, do you think it actually makes people want to buy the clothes or do you think it makes people feel a little bit excluded and like they're not part of the cool club? Look, for someone that's 33 years old, it did not make me want to buy the activewear. However, I think for their target market of Gen Zers, I don't think they care. I think that if they see it on people that they're following, they're going to go out and buy it. I think it would entice them to do so. Well, we've seen the Sofa Dofa effect play out where she promotes any clothing and it literally sells out within seconds. I am fascinated to see the Anna Paul effect, considering she hasn't actually partnered with any brands before. I reckon it's going to absolutely go within a couple of seconds, this new collection that Anna Paul's launching. The father of Love Island's Tasha Guri has called on the public to avoid making fun of his daughter's hearing loss following a barrage of ableist abuse on social media. Amy, it's sad it's come to this point. It really is, Kate. There was so much excitement when Tash was unveiled as a contestant on Love Island because she's the first ever deaf person on the show. So Tash was born completely deaf and when she was five, she was fitted with a cochlear implant. She then underwent years of speech therapy and now refers to her cochlear implant as her superpower. Now, I didn't realize this, but the sounds heard through a cochlear implant are not the same as what you'd hear through your ears. So cochlear implant wearers who have previously heard naturally often describe the sound heard from the implant as being more robotic or tinny. However, they say as time goes on, the brain adjusts to the new signals and it becomes more natural. 
So whilst in the villa, Tash has been the centre of a number of big storylines. She has been coupled up with Andrew from day one, but the perception from the other islanders and also the public is that she's not really that into Andrew because every time a new bombshell came in, she wanted to get to know them instead of being focused on Andrew. And during her time in Casa Amor, she recoupled with Billy. Andrew also controversially recoupled with a Casa Amor girl called Coco. And this, of course, led to the infamous Titgate controversy, which we spoke about last week. Now this week, Tash asked Andrew to be her boyfriend, which is a really big deal in the villa, and she got all of the contestants involved to help her. There was a lot of attention on them. Now, what you would expect to be a really happy time turned sour because hours later, Tash was in tears after being put in the bottom three following the public vote. Now, Tasha's behaviour copped not only criticism from inside the villa, but also outside of the villa because everyone thought, well, she should be really happy that she's just made Andrew her boyfriend rather than focusing on whether she's popular in the public. And this led to a lot of horrendous abuse online. And it's something that she's been receiving quite a while now since she's been in the villa. And this actually prompted UK journalist Liam O'Deal, who is also deaf, to call out the comments. Now, he said he's been worried by the amount of abuse directed at Tash from the minute she was announced as an Islander. Now, the abuse he's referring to includes TikToks mocking her voice, comments fantasizing about damaging her cochlear implant. Now, some people have even gone as far as to express desires for her boyfriend, Andrew, to physically abuse her. Some of the tweets I have seen are actually too horrific to read out. Now, the journalist has called on ITV to do more to protect Tash and said that the condemning of trolling isn't enough. He said that they need to be more specific and condemn the ableism. He went on to say that hearing people still can't understand that you can criticize a person who happens to be deaf without bringing their disability into it. Now, this backlash has also prompted Tasha's dad, Tariq, to speak out. Replying to a comment on Instagram, he wrote, Part of a dad's job is to guide but not drive their kids' ships. This mentality has got her to where she is today. Despite the negativity, she was successful before she went in and she will be successful when she comes out. We talked about the possible negativity and if you think you are prepared for it, you are not. Negativity is not what we do in this family, so it's a bit of a shock, but more so is the ableist comments like last night when... When someone described her as a deaf whore, Tash wanted to do it to represent and show deaf kids, teenagers and adults that they have nothing to fear by embracing their deafness or hearing aids. It's why hers are bright white. It's also why she's the only Love Island contestant to publicly say she would donate half of any winnings to the deaf children's charity, a positive story that's been left behind as news does. It's mentally draining for her to compute what's being said, lip-reading people whose lips aren't facing hers or whose mouths are covered with drink bottles. Staying involved in conversations when you can only hear robotic sounds in only one of your ears is mentally draining. This leads to tiredness and sometimes tears. It's a pressured environment, but she has an extra pressure no one seems to recognize apart from anyone who is deaf or hard of hearing. I'm completely with her dad here. I don't know why there is such a dislike for Tash. I don't think she's done anything wrong. If anything, she has brought entertainment, drama and realness to the show. I'm sorry, we're forgetting that these people have only known each other for a few weeks. When she was a bit up in the air over, you know, bombshells coming in, didn't really know whether she liked Andrew that much. 
that's pretty normal in the dating world. So I don't understand why everyone has just thrown all this hate towards her. I do wonder if it's because she is absolutely stunning and people are threatened by her. I do wonder if her negative portrayal on the outside has anything to do with fan favorite Luca always seeming to call her out when she's upset. Because Luca has been called a game player before. Dummies called him fake and said that Luca really wants to win the competition. Now, while Luca has denied that, I saw bits of that in the episode the other night when Tash was upset and the first thing he did was call her out because I think there's nothing worse than you can do in Love Island than actually acknowledge that the, that you're there for your but career. in Luca's defense, so, I think that he actually said it to her as a friend because people like Eck and Sue and other day, they were talking behind her back and rolling eyes and that sort of thing. I think he wanted to go up to her and say something to kind of make her aware of the way she was being portrayed or might be portrayed on I, the show. I agree with what Kate's saying because to Luca, he probably sees Tash and Andrew as being a big threat. I don't think so. He's best friends with Andrew. Yeah, but they're the couple that have been together since day one. They're now girlfriend and boyfriend. So it does make sense that he would call her out. He also could have spoken to her privately. It was quite clear that he wanted to have that moment where he called her out because he knows that Andrew and Tash are not popular in the house. Therefore, calling them out on their shit is going to make him even more popular. I also don't get why she's not allowed to be upset that she's in the bottom three. I get that she is supposed to be a happy day because she's now girlfriend of Andrew, whatever. But at the same time, I think people are forgetting that this is an enormous show. It is a launching pad for your career. I I know people say, oh, I've only come into the show for love. That's bullshit. You go on the show to make a career for yourself. And also, all of the Islanders are aware that they're being spoken about, whether it's on social media, on newspapers, on podcasts. So to be in the bottom three, three times in a row and to know that everyone on the outside probably doesn't like you. I mean, the fact that they got put in the bottom three over people from Casa Amor said a lot. Yeah, it's not even just that. It's not even us saying we're confused why people don't like her. The fact is people are being disgusting and vile commenting on her cochlear implants. Like they need to understand Tasha's made such huge progression for representation both on Love Island and also in the modeling industry. She's also raising so much awareness around the world and I feel like she should be applauded for it. I think we're also forgetting how draining and tiring it must be for her to have to lip read other islanders or to not be involved in conversations in the same way. You know, she might be losing things that other people who can hear might pick up on. You know what I mean? Like social cues and stuff. And it is interesting because the family and friends who are looking after the Islanders account, they have actually come together to release a joint statement about the current trolling. So they said, Love Island is an interactive TV show where opinions, discussions and debate are welcome in equal measure to displays of support, love and kindness. Although we have never met, we stand together today, united against the hate messages and insults that some viewers seem to think is acceptable to throw at our friends, sons, daughters and family members. Your hate has no place on our pages or in society in general. This post is being shared across contestant social media pages at the same time and Love Island fan-related pages as a sign of unity and denouncement of hate. And I just think it's shocking that in 2019, we saw Caroline Flack die by suicide and we were reminded to all be kind to people on reality shows or those hosting them. We also saw a number of contestants take their own life. 
but the message of being kind still doesn't seem to be getting through. It seems like the abuse has gotten even worse following that. And I think people need to remember this is just a TV show. This is light entertainment for us. These are just snippets of a 24-hour day that you're seeing. I was shocked to hear that one of Love Island's sponsors is Reddit. So they have a specific Reddit link for Love Island users. And I heard them promote it on their podcast. I've only just gotten into it. It's fabulous if you are into Love Island like me. Anyway, so they're promoting this Reddit thread where you can talk about all of your favorite islanders. They did say they try and keep it safe, but I'd be really interested to know how. Well, everyone's on Tattle talking about them tearing to shreds. Brooke Hogan shared some interesting insights into her fashion brand, as well as the sponsorship status of her wedding in a recent Not Gonna Lie Q&A. Let's start with the wedding, Kate. What did she say? Well, Brooke revealed that her and her husband, Miles, weren't keen on having a sponsored wedding. So she said she didn't want to feel pressured to post every element of her big day on social media. She did, however, confirm that small elements of her wedding were sponsored. So her two wedding dresses were gifted from designers Stephen Kalal and Marana Hardwick, while her champagne tower was sponsored by Moe because she actually had a long-term partnership with them. Brooke also confirmed the wedding venue Hotel Sorrento was her husband's family business. So, I mean, I feel like a large chunk would have been sponsored because when you do break down a wedding, the food, the dress and also those champagne towers, they set you back a lot. Yeah, but I the thing is, I actually really appreciate Brooke opening up and sharing what was sponsored and what wasn't because as someone who is planning a wedding, it can be really overwhelming when you see an influencer's wedding all over social media mm. because it does set the bar of what a wedding should look like. And obviously, they're going to have the best of the best because not only do influencers have really high paychecks compared to us normal people, but they also get a lot of things for free. I agree. I do think it was refreshing. It was sort of similar to when Olivia Rogers said that both of her dresses were also sponsored because yeah the average person sitting at home you think how are these people affording different outfit changes when I'm struggling to afford one dress Exactly. And I think the second dress trend has become so big because of influencers and celebrities often having more than one dress. And in reality, it's only because they're not paying for it and that's how they can afford to have two. I think it would be good if they could start adding gifted to some of the photos initially because it would clear things up. That being said, though, these wedding brands also are clearly making a lot of money off gifting these influencers the dresses. I know now from looking at so many wedding forums and Instagram pages that Olivia and also Brooke have featured quite heavily. And I'm sure there's a Mm. lot of people inquiring about what dress they wore. That's actually a really good point. Now, Brooke didn't go into whether she got to keep her dress, but I remember Olivia Rogers was saying that it was more of a case of it being loaned to her. So she she couldn't even take it home after the wedding. She had to give it back. So I don't know how I would feel about that. I suppose yeah, a lot what, of people do go on to sell their dresses. Yeah, but what are you really going to do with a huge wedding gown? I know I already struggle for room in my closet as it is. <laughs> I can't imagine this huge ball gown in there as well or two huge ball gowns like most influencers have. It's funny because it actually seems like a bit of a positive that influencers are able to confirm what and wasn't sponsored for their own personal benefit as well, because there's this trend of influencers tagging all their suppliers in their wedding photos, and it can give off the impression that everything was sponsored. And I can imagine if you've paid for most of the stuff, 
you actually want people to know that you paid for it, not that it was for free. Yeah, I think that's why we copped a bit of heat from Sarah's day because when she got married last year, we were having a bit of a joke about what we thought was sponsored or not sponsored because she was one of those influencers who did tag every single person except the dress designer, which was a bit odd. Yeah, and she wasn't too happy with us and came out and said I actually paid for everything. But as you say, Kate, I can understand if I put my hard-earned money into something and everyone's like, they got this for free, you might be a bit annoyed. Yeah, at the moment when I'm as I'm going through the wedding budget and paying deposits and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, buddy, hell, this shit's expensive. So yeah, I can understand that. I mean, I think she could have dealt with it a bit better and actually listened to the episode. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. As much as it would be great to reduce the cost of your wedding, I can also understand why Brooke wouldn't want to feel obligated to post on her wedding day. And I've been getting into bride talk and there's literally some influencers who look like they've spent their whole wedding day creating TikToks for future content. And oh, I, I've seen I, these and I literally think, did you actually enjoy yourself or were you just thinking about what's going to make a good TikTok? Because there's some that they start off in their wedding pajamas with their bridesmaids and then there's like a transition and they're in mm. there. And I think it's it's kind of cool. But then when you start going through the feed and there's like, oh, and here's my special moment where I'm eating dinner with my husband privately mm. and here's our first look and everything's filmed. I get that people have a videographer on the day, but I feel like with these TikToks, it's actually there's more work personally for you to, to come up with the TikToks and create them. I wonder if this is a bit of a side business. Well, on this American wedding podcast I listened to, they said that you actually should hire a social media person or ask one of your <laughs> friends to capture stuff on social media. And to be truthful, I actually wrote it into my notes section as, hmm, that's a good idea. And that's not to capture TikToks, but it's to capture vision of your table or oh, you know, yeah. when you're not there, what your guests are doing. Because I think it would be nice to look back on. And for me, I always find it intriguing because at a lot of weddings they say, oh, it's a social media blackout. I don't want you filming anything. Put your phone away, which I understand because you want people to enjoy the moment. But that being said, at my wedding, I want everyone to have their phone out because I want to see that vision. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I can imagine it's like when you go to any good event, you get home and you look through the photos and videos and reminisce about it. And it takes so long for you to get your wedding photos and your wedding video that you want all that content. Look, Sophie, I'll put my hand up. I can be that person on your wedding day. (laughs) Could you be mine? Because Sophie is very, very good at filming Instagram content. I think it's a part of your job as a PR manager. I feel like we could literally talk about weddings all day, but let's get back to the Q&A. So Brooke also opened up about her fashion brand, Le Mans. So followers anonymously asked if Brooke earns a wage from the brand and also asked how much she's invested in the company. Now, she confirmed she doesn't take a wage from either Le Mans or her Pilates business, which I found quite surprising. And she instead said that she relies on her modeling ambassador and social media jobs for her income. And as for how much she's invested in her fashion brand, she said she wouldn't reveal the exact figures because it's private. However, (laughs) (laughs) However, she admitted that she's made a lot of mistakes and with the pandemic on top of it, it has added up pretty quickly. Now, she also clarified that she solely owns the company and doesn't have any financial investors. She said she did want to clear that up because she had heard a few rumors around the place. Now, while there's a lot of flaws with this anonymous, not going to lie questions, I think they've been pretty great from a perspective of giving influencers the ability to set the record straight. 
It's also given the general public the ability to ask what we really want to hear without getting blocked. And it seems like there's just been this real fixation on Brooks brand ever since it launched. And I feel like Brooks brand has one mile vibes because in the sense that she seems to be taking it really seriously and looking for brand longevity rather than making a quick buck. And I remember back when Brooke first launched the brand at the start of the year that some people were annoyed because she released a sarong that was really expensive. And I just think it's because people are so used to influencers lending their names to cheap fast fashion brands that when an influencer brand has expensive items, it just blows my mind. Like people can't seem to get it. And a lot of people seem to be overlooking the fact that Le Monde has been launched as a luxury, slow fashion brand made in Australia. And Brooke is just one of many influencers that are now pivoting away from fast fashion. And I think that's something that should be applauded. I agree with you, Kate. When that whole sarong incident happened, it just seemed like people were desperate to criticize something. It was a bit of tall poppy syndrome. And Brooke did reiterate during the Q&A that the prices she charges are actually too low and she hasn't made a dollar profit off the brand and won't for many years to come. So she explained that Le Mans items are low quantity and made in Australia with quality fabrics. The thing is, I think the prices are very on par with Australian brands like Beckenbridge and Shona Joy. Like I don't understand why people are going nuts about it. And I think it's a part of the marketing too, because when I went to have a look at her brand, I was like, oh, this stuff looks really nice because it yeah, has got an end. expensive high-end feel about it and it has the price tag that makes you think well it must be good quality El Darby has revealed she decided to cancel her lavish wedding to fiance Connor Swift instead the controversial UK influencers are set to wed abroad in a simpler ceremony that she says represents their love better does something smell fishy to you Kate it definitely does. It's all very odd, from the clickbaity YouTube title to the excuses provided. So during the daily vlog style video, Elle casually dropped while unboxing parcels that everything in her life shifted when she went offline, which appears to be code for being cancelled. <laughs> so she explained originally that her and Con wanted a big party style wedding that everyone would rave about and never forget. However, the expensive wedding no longer fitted in with their morals or goals in life. Now, Elle said after talking about what they wanted in life and the types of people they are, they realised that their wedding wasn't going to be a good representation of their love. So seven months out from the big wedding, she ended up having to cancel everything. And this included the venue, event stylist, photographer, musicians, florist, church, even her dress, she said, got cancelled. And this is all despite the deposits being paid. So it's completely wild for me to even think about Now, they've completely changed their plans and are getting married overseas in what Elle says is a sentimental spot. She said that the wedding will be small and only people they love and adore will be invited. She also revealed they'll be having a civil ceremony in the UK with people who can't attend the wedding overseas. Do you think it's because a lot of people don't want to come to the wedding anymore because Mm -hmm. of the association with the racism and negativity? I wonder if that's why they're like, God, we've got no friends left. We've got to make it a smaller affair. Oh, definitely. And the thing is, she kept trying to pass it off as if this was the decision that they had made. But I feel like it's not entirely her choice because there was all of these little bits of her language indicating negativity. So, for example, she called it a first world problem and then kept talking with this mantra that everything happens for a reason. 
Now, we've just spoken about how Brooke Hogan was sponsored with a gifted wedding dress. Do we think that perhaps Elle had a very fancy wedding designer locked in and she was being gifted the item, but that brand no longer wants to associate with her? So maybe that's a bit of a spanner in the works as well? Oh, I definitely think that this wedding had a lot of sponsorship deals in the work. And now that they are no longer desirable from a sponsorship perspective, these sponsors have fallen through and perhaps Elle and Con can no longer afford to put on the wedding without this boost up from sponsorship dollars. I mean, maybe in general, they've lost a lot of money Mm. and can no longer afford to have a lavish wedding. I do think they would have enlisted the help of a PR manager for their brand reputation. And perhaps the person has also said, look, a huge flashy wedding is not a good look for you. I think it would have been a combination of things. The thing is, though, everyone loves a wedding. Like even the flashier, the better in terms of influences. I mean, I know she's had this negativity around her, but they went on some flashy American trip and posted all about it and seemed to not get much backlash. So I don't mm. think it is has anything to do with it from a PR perspective. I totally disagree, Kate. I think people are looking for reasons to hate her at the moment. So her putting on this pretentious, flashy wedding as if nothing has changed, as if her life is still perfect, I don't think it would be a good look for her at all. Oh, I definitely understand that. And I agree. I don't think from a PR perspective, it's a great move. But the thing is, I don't think that's why they've cancelled it. Uh, Because they've had all these flashy hens parties and stag do's and stuff. It's not like they've not been flashy at all. I did think another reason, because they kept pointing out that it was seven months before the wedding that they decided to cancel it all. I thought there have been some cheating rumours. I wondered if maybe Elle got wind of some cheating rumours and was like, that's it, I'm cancelling everything. Like, you just never know what's actually going on behind the scenes. I am excited to see how this wedding does play out. Well, so if I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting about weddings with you to finish off this episode, some dedicated listeners who can actually tell our voices apart will recognize that Amy dropped off in the end of that topic. Uh, she had to go finish off some work, a.k.a. we had a big fight. Um, yeah, things did get a little <laughs> bit heated, as our old catchphrase <laughs> used to say. And it's funny, we did get some of those anonymous questions through last week. And one of the questions a listener wrote was, can you please air some of your arguments? And I don't think we'd have a podcast anymore if some of these were aired. They get oh, so maybe heated we should do like disgusting to each other. Maybe we should do that YouTube thing. If this podcast gets X amount of downloads, <laughs> then we will air all of the dirty arguments and fights. How about that? Want- yeah, that's a good idea. I do want to remind people, can you please subscribe and also like our podcast because it does really help with the charts. But yeah, thank you so much for listening to today's show. And it was recorded in the traditional land of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains. We pay respects to elders past and present. And if you want to join in on any of the conversations going in on our Facebook community, head over to Outspoken, the podcast community. And don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and TikTok. Our handle is outspoken underscore the underscore podcast.